Let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to have you park there, and before you, I get there, uh, I'm going to have you park there for now, and then I'm going to catch up with you in a minute. But we've been talking through and studying through a series about love reigns. And today in some denominations and some religious circles, uh, love is a big topic, right? After all, God is, right? He is love. But let's define love this morning. Is the love that you have for your wife the type of love that God has for you or for your husband? Is that the type of love that God has for you? No. Is the fact that you love ice cream, is that love the same love that God has for you? I love airplanes. I, I just spent a whole week chasing them all week long. I love airplanes, but the fact that I love airplanes, does that love define the love that God has for me? No. Because as much as I loved airplanes, guess what I did on Friday? I left them all in Minneapolis. And I haven't seen one since. But God's love is different than our love. And if God's love is a different love, then when we say we just need to love one another, let me ask you a question. Is that possible apart from God? No. We love him because he first... So that means any love that we express of ourselves is usually a conditional love. As long as God loves me first, I'll love him back. I'll love him back. I won't even go to the extent that I'll love him more. I'll just love him back. Is that the same? No. It's conditional love. What if God didn't love you? Would you keep loving him? I can give you the answer to that question. We see it in our world, don't we? When they perceive that, well, if God is so loving and so kind, why is he allowing this to happen in my life? Well, I'll show God. I'll quit going to his church. That'll teach him. Like, like that bothers God? That should bother us more than God. Guess who goes to church every day? Guess who is the church? Guess who founded the church? Guess who doesn't even need the church? So in our messed up mindset, sometimes we get in a place where we feel like God needs us. Does God need us? No. So then why are we here? Why do we exist? What is the mission for mankind? What, what was he designed for? What was he placed here for? What is the point of the Christian life if God doesn't need us? Well, what if we've been looking through the lens the wrong way the whole time? Anybody ever use a pair of binoculars? Just last week I was using binoculars to watch the SpaceX launch down at Cape Canaveral. And it was, we were having fun with it. We'd flip the binoculars backwards and look. And guess what? What used to be this big is like this big. And what was easily definable is now not defined at all. It's just a speck on the horizon. And then we'd flip the binoculars the other way and it was like, wow, you had this supervision, right? You could see all the way up close and you could see the rocket way up in the sky. And when other people are like, oh, that's it, let's pack up and go. You're still like, oh no, it's still going. I still see it. Because you got this superhuman perspective because you got lenses that are making what's in front of you that's not clearly seen, easily seen. 
And God in scripture has given to us a lens for us to look through. But the problem is it's only good if we use it. It's only good if we use it. And we don't always choose to do right when we know what's right to do, right? How many remember a game back when you were young called Simon Says? Right? Remember Simon Says? Simon Says is a neat game because it's a game that proves the finiteness of man. And right now you already know what's about to happen, don't you? Pastor Joe's going to play Simon Says. Do you realize that every day of your life you make on average 35,000 decisions a day? This morning, you've already made thousands of choices. You decided what shade of makeup, ladies, you're going to put on. Or if you were going to put on makeup. Or you chose what shirt you're going to wear, or pants you're going to wear, or shoes, or socks. You chose whether or not you're going to brush your teeth, brush your hair, take a shower, not take a shower. You chose what car you were going to drive in this morning. You chose whether or not you're going to eat breakfast or not. You know what? You made a ton of choices already today. And how many of you are exhausted already? <laughs> I'm just mentally cast at the thousands of decisions I was asked to make. And we laugh at that because we think that's pretty trivial. But why is it then when God asks us to do something, we labor at that choice? God's will or my will? God's choice or my choice? God's way or my way? You see, Simon Says reveals something in human nature. So I'm going to play with you a little bit this morning, Simon Says, okay? So Simon Says, touch your nose, right? Simon Says, don't touch your nose. Pretty easy game, right? So let, let's do it a little more. Touch, Simon Says, touch your ear. Simon Says, touch your other ear. Simon Says, put both down. Put them back up. See, I got some of you already. <laughs> and even though you knew what was right, you still chose incorrectly. And I even told you what lens to use. I said, Simon says. And even though you knew the lens you needed, you still missed it. You know why? We are people of selective hearing. You ever heard that term? Yeah? Selective amnesia, selective learning, selective hearing, right? Why do we have those sayings? Because we like to reject what is reality and substitute our own instead. Well, I think God says, or I think God means, or I feel like God says, you know what? None of those matter. What matters? What God actually says, what God actually means, and why he actually said it in the first place. And when we can pull back and get into that, we begin to understand what God wants. And what God wants, or what God does on Palm Sunday is he reveals to us a lens of himself that rarely we look through, rarely we pay attention to, and very rarely do we admit that we need. And that is the lens of God's mercy. Do you realize this morning that every one of us here today is deserving to die? But you're not just deserving to die, you should already be dead. Because the first time that you went against God's word, what should have happened? The wage of sin is, how many sins do you have to commit to get sin? Think about that. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, for the sins of the world is death. No, it's what? For the wage of sin is death. Singular, not plural. 
Many times we want to say, well, it's because of all man's sins that he deserves it. No, man's sin, one. One sin is enough for us to deserve death. Then why is it that none of us are dead today? We got God's mercy. How many of you ever played the old game Mercy? Remember that one? You take your hands and you lock hands together and then you try to flip the guy's hands around and bend his fingers backwards until he cries. And then you decide whether or not you're going to give him mercy, right? It's like, no, not yet, a little more, right? And that little vengeful part of you is like, yeah, that's right, you won't play me again, I just won. That's not God's type of mercy. God's type of mercy is not giving us what we absolutely deserve. And on the triumphal entry, what made it so triumphal is the fact that Jesus Christ, who was not deserving of death at all, became death for all so that we would not be eternally separated from him at all. Think on that. It's God's mercy on display through Easter. It's God's grace. It's there too, but it's his mercy that allows us to see things clearly that we don't normally see. You know, and as Americans, we're not much on mercy today, are we? We're, we're not much on mercy or grace today. You know what? Usually we see some, like somebody goes speeding by you at 100 mile an hour on the interstate and the cop pulls them over and the first thing you say is what? Serves them right. The law, baby. We win. You know what? No one ever goes, I hope that cop lets them off. I mean, he was only speeding. He wasn't like killing anybody, right? We gravitate towards, we want justice. We want it now. He gets the book, pull his license, impound his car. That guy's off the road and we're all safer. Aren't you glad God's not that way? Aren't you glad God doesn't think that way? Oh, that person's a sinner, man. We need to take them off the road, throw them out of life. They're done. Now we got all the good people left. Oh, nope, there's another one. And God's just picking us off one after another, right? Just taking us out one after another because we're all driving like crazy sinners. No, it's his grace, his mercy, his long suffering, his gentleness, his goodness, his meekness, his temperance. All these things are displayed by Jesus Christ, even in the triumphal entry, even this week. You can go on our Facebook page and I put a picture on there of all the events that take place this week. And all through them all, there's only one place we see Jesus really get angry. And where does he really get angry at? In the temple. And does he get angry because they were buying and selling in the temple? No. He gets angry because people were taking advantage of other people in the temple. What were they not showing? Mercy. There's no mercy. And yet Jesus Christ himself is coming to show mercy. And you know what? And Simon says, we don't show any mercy in that game, do we? Because if you're out, you're, you're out of the game. And then how unjust is it? Like you're getting down to the last three people. And Simon says, and then all of a sudden the, the person running goes, you know what? Everybody's back in. And the three people say what? That's not... You've been there. Because in our cognitive thinking of winning at all costs... We don't think that's fair. We think that's unjust. 
We think there's no... That's not how the game is played. And you know what Jesus Christ did for us? The just died for the unjust. The righteous, the winner, lost for the losers. So that we might become part of the winners. You ever watch a team throw a game? I remember we were playing in a high school soccer match in, in, at Calvary Christian School, Taylor Mill, Kentucky, and we were a dominating soccer team. My senior year, we scored 121 goals to our opponents 12 all season. We were national champs coming out of our junior year, and we had three seniors got in trouble our senior year. And when we had to go play the game, our coach wanted to make sure we lost the game. You want to know why? We were 22 Oh, and two. Two ties, 21 wins, no losses. And because our guys got in trouble, our coach wanted to put an L in our bracket on us so he could remind us all season long of what event. It wasn't about losing the soccer game. It was about remembering what happened because we lost the soccer game. Why did we lose the game? We lost the game because we had teammates who didn't want to be part of a team. And because they didn't want to be part of the team and they wanted to do their own thing, our coach was going to teach the whole team a lesson. And forever in our yearbooks, guess what we have? Is that middle digit. A one. I still remember who we lost to. I still remember why we lost. I still remember how we lost. And it wasn't because we did our best. It's because he made us be the worst. Yeah, what kind of coach makes his team lose? You know who does that? A good coach. Because out of all the wins that we had in my high school career, guess what I remember more than anything? That loss. And I know why we lost, and I remember why we lost. And I remember the kids' names that caused us to lose. And I'm still not bitter about it. I'm over it. <laughs> I was not one of the four, by the way. But I remember playing in that game knowing we're, we are outgunned. I mean, we, we've lost this game from, from the opening kick, and we played defense, and we still scored on them, but we couldn't score as many as they could score. And we ended up losing 6-3. to three. They scored, Remember, how many goals were scored on us all year? 12. They got how many of them? Half in one game. Do you think we remember that? I remember that. And you know what? The saddest part was we knew what we could do and we knew what we couldn't do. We knew we couldn't beat them without all our players. And you know what? Jesus Christ knew going in the triumphal entry day, he knew what Satan could do and he knew what Satan could not do. And guess what? He won the game. He won the game. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become, well, not players of Satan, but players for who? We might become the children of God, the sons of God. So let me help us out with understanding why the triumphal entry matters and why Easter week matters for us today. And it's because of a couple of lessons. And remember in the past or in the past weeks leading up to this week, we talked about how love reigns in the past. We, we, we read about and studied how God works in the future, how love reigns in the future for us. But today I want to talk about how love reigns today, where we are today, right now, present time. How does God work today 
via love into our lives, but what does he want us to do with that then? We love him because he first loved us, right? So it's a reactionary thing that we're going to do right now in our present time. But how we deal with the present will affect our ministry that we can have in the future. And it's going to be a reflection of what your ministry was in the past. So today, I want to talk about today. Where is Jesus Christ in your life today? Because the first thing I want to see as a main point is this. Your choices reveal currently who's reigning in your heart. Your choices that you're making right now reveal who's in control in your heart. If you're sitting on the throne, then you're going to have a lot of selfish choices in your life. The things that you're doing are going to be selfish. They're going to be for your self-gratification. If you're doing things for God, then who are they going to be invested in? Where's your time going to be spent? Who's going to be getting glory in the things that you're doing? And if you're doing it for others, then, then who's going to be the recipient of that? Other people, right? So the choices you're making today actually are declaring to the people around you what is most important in your life. Think of it this way. When Christians stay home on Sunday and their unsaved neighbors see them stay home, what do they think? They must be sick. Except they're out mowing their grass. They're out doing... Wait, wait a second. There's a disconnect, right? They're like, but they invited me to go to church and they're not going to church. So if they don't need to go to church, I don't need to go to church. Then why go to church? Church must not be important. You say, well, Pastor Joe, why are you using that one? Well, I don't have to use that one. Let's use another one. How comes this person tells me they're a Christian but never shared Christ with me? Do they really believe it? Do they really think he can save people? Do they really believe what they say they believe? Or are they just going through the motions? They say they're a Christian, but they don't act like it. Or, or maybe they're not even convinced. They're trying to convince themselves they're a Christian. And before they can share it with anybody else, they've got to decide for themselves. So the choices we make are declaring to the people around us where we already are. Who's reigning in our lives? If you see a Christian paralyzed by fear, who's in control? Obviously God is. Right? No, they've taken control of their life and they're living in fear rather than the confidence of what Scripture actually says. So as we go through the passage of the Scripture this morning, I want you to see that we have a God that we can trust with every choice we make in life. Check this out in Psalm chapter 37, verse 23 and 24. Look what it says. The steps of a good man are established by, say it out loud. By who? Not you. And when, he, and, and when he delights in his way, and it goes on the next verse then, to say, verse 24, though he falls, so what does that mean? Even if you're walking in the steps of the Lord, you could fall. And if he falls, you're not going to be cast headlong for who holds your hand. You ever trip when somebody's holding your hand? How often do you do a face plant when that happens? No, when do you do a face plant? When nobody's holding on. I know Jacqueline before, she'll be walking along and trips on her own feet, and all of a sudden she goes from over here to over here, facing the wrong way, but at least she's not face first on the ground, having done a face plant. Now, there have been times I've watched her do a face plant, and she just lands, hit and stick, right? That hurts. But when somebody's holding your hand, you got a chance of making it through that fall. And the idea here is this, if God is holding your hand, what do you need to worry about? 
Why worry? I love Galatians 1.10. Check this verse out. It says, for, now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of who? Doesn't that really summarize our choices every day? Who, who am I going to live for today? Me or God? Or am I trying to please man? <laughs> Good luck on that one. I'm glad everybody doesn't have a different opinion of what right is. Right? Right? Am I trying to please man? For if I'm still trying to please man, I would not be what? So if I'm serving man, I can't serve Christ. If I'm serving Christ, who am I not going to worry about serving? But Pastor Joe, I'm mad at you. I'm sorry you're mad at me. Number one, I can't change people being mad at me because I didn't make you mad. You chose to be mad. Number two, I can't fix it. And number three, if I'm pleasing God and you're offended by that, where's that put you? Am I going to please you or am I going to please God? And this is in all areas of life. I didn't mean it. You don't? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so check it out. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? That's really what the present's about. Choose you this day who you will serve. If it's God, let it be God. If it's mammon, let it be mammon. But you can't serve both God and mammon. You're going to love one, hate the other. Psalm 37 and verse 5 says this, Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. So if you say, God, guide my steps today. God's like, no, sorry, today's my day off. He never says that. He's going to direct your path. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my... He wants to illuminate the way. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So the things that we choose to do or not choose to do show who we're listening to in our lives. So if God is an important person in our life, then what are the odds we're going to see spiritual things and we're going to hear God, we're going to hear Jesus Christ, and we're going to hear the gospel be part of your life. If you are in charge of your life, what are the odds you're going to talk about you? It's going to be all about you. And see, this is the danger of the Christian life. God has given you the ability to choose under his sovereignty who you're going to serve every day. By the way, the Bible tells us, take up your cross how often? That's a choice. You can choose to take it up or you can choose... Not to take it up. Now, are there consequences for both? Of course there are. Remember I told you to go in your Bibles to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. I want to show you a, ver a couple verses in here. Verses 5 and 6. Because it talks about the decision-making process that we have as human beings. God gave us the ability to make, on average, 35,000 choices a day. One of those choices is going to be, what are you going to do for him today? So, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of, say it together. That is deep, isn't it? Aren't you amazed at how deep the Bible is? Those that set their minds, or who live according to the Spirit, sets their minds on the things of, say it out loud. Now, how hard is that? If it's flesh, it's flesh. If it's spirit, it's spirit. So then, well, let's look at the next verse. For to set the mind on things of the flesh is death, but to set your mind on things of the Spirit is life with benefits. 
right? I mean, think about the first one. To set your mind on things of the flesh is what? What do dead people do? What are dead people confident in? But if you set your mind on the spirit, you get what? Life with benefits. What's the benefit that you get? How many people have peace today in the world that you live in? Guess who they need then? Guess who they're not living for? Guess who they're not focused on? And see, this is why our present ministry matters. Because the decisions you make today influence the ability of ministry you're going to have on the people around you. If you're different on purpose, then when you're different, people are going to ask you why you're different. But if you're just like them and you say, well, I'm a Christian and you live like them and talk like them and act like them and live, they look at you and they're like, I don't need what you have. I already have all that. I already have all that. The only thing I don't have is all the drama that goes with it. So the Bible's telling us here that we need to understand these things. And then I love what Romans chapter 12, verse one says. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. There's that word, isn't it? What was it? By the what of God? The mercy of God. God is using a lens of mercy to try to explain something to us here. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul begins by saying that every instruction he's about to give must be seen through a specific lens of mercy. In order to fully grasp living in the present, we have to understand God's view of us in the present. If God was angry with man, how would he act? Remember the 100 mile an hour guy that goes blowing by you on the interstate and the state troopers up there shooting radar? And you're like, yes! That's how God would act. Because how much sin can God tolerate? How much sin can be in the presence of God? None. Not even a little. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is perfect. He's holy. So holy, the angels sing what? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He's the past. He's the present. He's the future. He's holy in the past. Holy in the present. Holy in the future. This is undisputable. And if God is that holy, then how much sin is he going to tolerate in heaven? None. So he says, I appeal to you, brothers, because God has demonstrated to you mercy. Because he has shown you mercy every day. He has provided for you mercy. Then give yourself back to him as a living sacrifice. Why doesn't he say dead sacrifice? Because you're not dead. You're alive. You have a choice in the matter. You have some skin in the game, if you will. Paul says the goal of the passage here is to change the way that you think so you'll change the way that you live. And how do we change the way that we think? That happens from the inside out, not the outside in. And we're going to see that in the next verse that comes after this one. But before we get there, how many of us walk around on a daily basis grumbling and complaining over our present circumstances? You know what? 
God is showing us mercy. And we complain about it. God is showing us grace. And we complain about it. God is showing us mercy and grace and love. And we blame him for things going on in our lives that he explicitly told us don't even be involved in those things. And then we get involved in those things and then we get chastened because we're involved in those things. And who do we blame? Well, if God would just quit raining on my party, I would, there's a reason he's raining on your party. He doesn't want you partying that way in the first place. He wants you doing what he wants you to do for his glory. Check out, check out Colossians 3 verses 8 through 10. Look what it says. But now you must put them all away. Put away what? Anger. How many have anger issues? Wrath. Malice. This one's tough. Slander. Obscene talk from your mouth. He goes on, verse 9, don't lie to one another. All the fishing stories. The exaggerations. By the way, couples, this is for us. You always, you never. Is that true? Those are lies. Seeing that you put off the old self with its practices, look at verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Who created you? God. Who should you be reflecting the glory of? God. Whose characteristics should come out of your life? And if not, then what's the problem? What's the problem? You see, we're often not satisfied with our lot in life, so we try to do things on our own. We try to be in control of the things so that we can please ourselves. Because who loves you more than you? Well, there's only one, God. God loves you more than you love yourself. God loved you before you were even lovable. Matter of fact, God loved you when you were in the act of rebelling against him. You see, that's why our love isn't the same as God's. I've never walked up to somebody who's hating on me and said, man, you're the best. I'm going to die for you. No, you know what you want to do? Your spine stands a little straighter and your chest gets a little bigger and your fists clench and you know who I am? Right? That's what we want to do. But when I do that, who am I pleasing? I'm pleasing myself. Wouldn't it be great if there was a Bible verse that told us that? How about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32? Check this out. Let no, or verse 29, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up. Man, there's a lot of critical spirits in Christianity today. We love to tear down other people rather than build them up. It's some biblical to tear people down. It says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only such as good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give, what? Grace. grace. And wherever you see grace, guess who the twin brother is? Where you see grace, you'll always find mercy. You'll always find mercy where you find grace. That it may give grace to those who hear. Do you remember when there was a sinner and Jesus was confronting him and the sinner falls down at the feet of Jesus and says what? Be merciful to me, a sinner. People usually don't have to be told they're sinners. They usually don't have to be told they're messing up. You know what they need encourage, encouragement to do? Change. 
They need encouragement to change. If you point out what's wrong in my life, you know what I'm going to say? Yep. And? Pastor Joe, you're ugly. And? Pastor Joe, you're fat. And? So what? Pastor Joe, I'd love for you to get skinny. You know what? Me too. I'd love for me to be skinny. I'd, I'd love for that to happen. You know what? Pastor Joe, there's surgeries. You can get your face fixed. I'm using extreme because I want to make a point, right? You come up and say, there are surgeries for that. And it's like, oh, wow, I could get that fixed. There's hope, right? There's a chance. But when you condemn somebody to be stuck in a place in life, they believe it. They believe it. Well, you'll never amount to anything good or you'll never be a great teacher or a great singer or a great worker or you never and you know what people believe it and guess what they do they become the god of their life and they say well god didn't give me those gifts god didn't create me that way so i guess i am who i am and the reality is guess whose lie that is that's satan's i've never seen satan like whoa go do something great for god he's always trying to usurp the authority of god he's always trying to trip people up check out titus chapter 3 and verse 2 to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy towards what people? All people. All people. Critical spirits are terrible for Christians. Paul is inviting us to see things differently. By the way, guess who's writing all these verses? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're not even going outside of the Apostle Paul here. He's the one that wrote Romans. He's the one that wrote Ephesians. He's the one that wrote Titus. He's the one that also writes this one in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Check this out. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. See, all you should like airplanes. It's biblical. Even my wife, I can't convince of that one. If I'm interested in it, you should be... It's not what this is teaching, is it? It's talking about the needs and the encouragement of others. As you would invest in yourself to be more godly, invest in others the same way, to the same end, to the same means. Invest in others the same way. So when God has been merciful to you and me, he sends us to be merciful to others just like he's been merciful to us. We say the golden rule, right? What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have... Isn't that it right there? As God has invested in you and your interests, you would take your interests and invest in others to the same degree. This is what God's asking us to do. Nothing special. When we turn our attention to mercy the mercy of God, then we are compelled to live our lives as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. Doesn't that make sense? Matter of fact, in, in Romans 12, he's going to argue because this is the logical thing for people to do. If God has demonstrated his love to, towards you and you demonstrate your love to others, is, isn't that the next logical step? If God did it to you, then you do it for others. If God didn't do it for you, then, well kind of hard to tell people what you've experienced when you haven't experienced it. This is why lost people can't witness the lost people. It doesn't work. They don't believe it. 
The concept of sacrifice is, it has all kinds of richness in history uh, for the audience that Paul is speaking to. When you sacrificed an animal, it took the life of the animal away. In other words, a life had to die for the covering of your sin. So when the animals were killed, these are animals that, for the most part, the family would raise. Imagine taking your dog today and killing it for your sin. Imagine taking your cat that you love. Some of you are like, I'll take my cat, all right. (laughs) You know, take the animal that you endear and, and have to kill it for you and your family's sin. The animal that you've loved, you've fed, you've cared for, you've, you've nourished many times. Look at Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. Check this out. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. He goes on in verse 17 to say this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You know what those verses just said? It wasn't the sacrifice that God was looking at. It wasn't the animal that God was interested in. He was interested in why the person was doing what they were doing. With what heart? What kind of spirit did they have? He's interested in broken, contrite spirits. He's interested in contrite hearts. Because what are broken spirits and contrite hearts in the hands of God? Opportunity for ministry. In other words, they've surrendered their will. They've surrendered their way. And they're now saying, God, I've tried my way. It doesn't work. I want your way rather than my way. I want your thoughts rather than my thoughts. I want you to be God in my life. I don't want to be God anymore. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering because you're not interested in the offering. You're interested in the motive behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. And see, this, is, this is, goes to the core of where we live in our society today. We can go to church and check boxes and get credit for being in church. But the question is, what did you do with Jesus Christ that morning? This morning, what are you doing with Jesus Christ right now? Is he king of your life? Is he the one ruling and reigning? Or you can't wait to get out of this place so you can go live the rest of your life this week because you got your Jesus juice and now you're off to the races. See what I'm saying? Who's in control? Who's the priority? Am I just doing this because this is what I'm called to do? The author of Psalm 51 is really shedding some light here. He says the real reason for the sacrificial system that the Jews had in place was not about the sacrifice itself. It was about the heart behind the sacrifice. The true sacrifice of a follower of Jesus Christ is a contrite heart and an obedient spirit. And what God is looking for since Jesus Christ has paid all things on the cross, since he paid for all sin in the resurrection, he's not worried about the sacrifice today. Because what was the sacrifice? Jesus said himself, behold my hands and my... That's been satisfied. So today it's not about the sacrifice. What's it about? Your motive... For what you're worshiping. Why are you worshiping? I love the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us, what's the next phrase? This day. Give us today our daily bread. 
Well, I got the daily bread 32 years ago when I got Jesus. That's great. But what are you doing today? Give us this day our daily bread and deliver us today from evil. You get the idea there? The emphasis is not like this happened in the past. This is happening today, right now. Paul goes on in the Romans passage. Look at chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to the world. Let's say that together. Do not be conformed to the world. Let's say it together. Do not be conformed to this world. So when Christians are, what are we doing? God's will or our will? So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The word here is metamorphosis. Anybody heard of that word before? Butterfly goes into cocoon, he comes out. I just lied to you. Caterpillar goes into a cocoon. He metamorphosizes from the inside out. And when he comes out, he's a super caterpillar. No, he gets a whole new name, whole new identity, whole new characteristics. He's got the same nature. He's still a caterpillar in his heart. But now he's got wings. Now he's got a new body. He's got new capabilities. He is a new creation. The old days of crawling are behind them. And today, the day of flying is in front of them. See? Think about it. Metamorphosis. He's transformed by the renewing of his mind. What changes first? The inward change starts in the brain, starts in the heart, goes to the brain, comes out in the body. He metamorphosizes the renewal of your mind so that by testing it, you'll discern what God's will is and that his will is perfect and acceptable. It's right and it's logical. In other words, let me read it this way for you because this is how it comes across in the Greek, okay? So no longer be fashioned in the way of the world and how those unsaved act, but be transformed from the inside out by changing how you think that results in a change of behavior that when you're tested, your behavior proves that you are of Christ because if you're of Christ then logically you're of Christ. Right? So that when the will of, that you can discern what the will of God is, that will of God that is good and acceptable and reflects whose nature? Christ's. In other words, it says this, a real Christian won't be conformed to the world because he's got Christ and Christ is in him and Christ is through him and Christ is going to bleed out of him. So when you cut a Christian open, you should get Christ. They should bleed Christ. They're a living sacrifice. They're on the altar because they want to be there, not because they have to be there. And the problem with living sacrifices is they like to crawl off the altar. Dead sacrifices don't move. Living sacrifices have a choice. I can choose to be on the altar and be sacrificed, or I can choose to take out my own nature and say, whoa, whoa. Oh, it doesn't work out good for the sacrifice here. I don't want to be the sacrifice. I want to do my own thing. But the Christian's going to be what? A Christian. They're going to be marked by it. The world around us has patterns. Patterns of broken life. And our brains are set on patterns, aren't they? Look at point number two here. Changing your pattern will change your life. I'm going to put on the screen here some patterns. I want your help. 
with these, okay? So I got green circle, blue square, green circle, blue square. What should the circle be? Green. Right? And the square should be? So I got pink triangles, blue rectangle, pink triangles. I should have what? Right? These are patterns. We, we, we get this. This is like first grade, isn't it? Um, red heart, gold stars, red heart, predictable. Yellow plate, brown oval, should be what? Yellow plate, right, brown oval. These are predictable. And if you wanna stay the same way that you've always been, be predictable. But if you wanna change, you really wanna be different for Christ on purpose, then changing your pattern changes your life. You gotta be doing something intentionally different. There has to be a choice that is made that changes what you're doing. Matthew 17, 13 and 14, check out what these verses say. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Wide gate, many people. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. If you don't want to go through the wide gate and you want to go through a narrow gate, it's going to take a change of choice. It's going to take a change of direction. When I, the first day we went to Sun and Fun, there was this big old gate at the beginning that had Sun and Fun entrance. And there's hundreds of people trying to converge on this little narrow gate so they can all check your wristband. By Friday, guess what we had found? We found the narrow gate that nobody knew about and we'd walk up and as we walked in all by ourselves, we just like, there's our wristband. And in we went, no stopping, no slowing down, but it took us a change of direction and a change of mind to get there. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Change your mind, change the pattern. Point number three, really simple, trade your will for God's. Simple to say, isn't it? Simple to say, but it's hard to live. But if we do it, God will change our lives. The ultimate outcome of a sacrificial life is a renewed mind and the ability to distinguish what the will of God is. So many people today struggle with knowing the will of God because they don't know God. They struggle with knowing the will of God because they don't know what the scriptures say. They're not in the Bible themselves. They've heard some preacher, they heard some person, they've heard things, thoughts, but they don't know what the Bible actually says. They don't know what God is actually like because they've never spent time with him. But when you know who God is, it makes it pretty easy to make decisions. Check out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know these verses. Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? And don't lean on your what? Those are two bad things for people to follow. We talked about that, haven't we? Disney World just says, just follow your heart. My Bible says my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can even get to the bottom of it? But check out verse six. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll show you where to go. What's a straight path? Predictable path. Directional path. A path you can trust. When we trust the Lord... And we don't question our own understanding. We just trust him. We begin to see the straight paths God put in front of us. It's kind of like being a parent. You know, being a parent's always fun and games, isn't it? I mean, when you watch your child wanting to do wrong and you're trying to convince them not to do it, 
there's an element of trust that has to be built there, isn't there? They have to trust you as a parent that your interest is best for them. And when you see your kid going down a path that's not going to go well for them, sometimes it takes intervention, doesn't it? You've got to step in and be the parent instead of their friend. And when you step in and be the parent, isn't it great how your children always receive it in love? They're so understanding. They're like, oh, yes, Daddy, that's exactly what we were. I'm so glad you helped me. No, what do you get? Why? See? And you know what? We don't trust very easy because trust is not something that we just grant people. Trust is always something earned. Remember what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We've got to learn that God's trustable, that we can trust him. We can depend on him. And when we depend on him, what are the odds he's going to show you what he wants you to do? But if we constantly fight our spiritual father and we're constantly at war with our spiritual father, why are we going to expect blessing then? Because God's trying to convince us that you can trust him. And trust is learned, not taken. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. When I say no to something and instruct my children or even punish them, I'm doing it not because I hate them. I do it because I actually care about them. I don't want to see them get hurt. And our spiritual father in heaven doesn't want to see us get hurt. Trust is hard. But it's even harder to learn to lean in trust. All of you know I hate ladders, right? I don't trust a ladder as far as I can throw it. Does that mean I never get on a ladder? No, I still get on ladders. Do I like it? No. Can I not wait to get off it? I can't wait to get off it. You say, what's this have to do with it? You know what? I may not like the earth that I'm living in. I may not like the president that I have. I might not like the situation at hand I'm being dealt today. But I can live confidently knowing that one day I'm going to stand before my spiritual father and I'm going to hear some words that I can't wait to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful child, servant. Isn't that worth it? And when he says no down here, that's okay. That's okay. He's got something better. There's something better out there for me than, than what I want to do. Trust is a hard thing to teach. It's even harder to learn. But if we're going to live a full life for God today, we have to trust him. We have to let him reign. We have to let him rule. We have to follow him with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul. The triumphal entry was this. You can trust me. I left heaven, came to earth for this moment, for this purpose, for this mission. I came so that you might have life and you can have it more abundantly. I left heaven to die in your place so you can have everlasting life. And if you can trust me with this, there's nothing else that I'll have to earn your trust in because you'll follow me. You'll follow me because, well, we love him because he first loved us. For God so loved the world that he sent who? That's the triumphal entry. God's love, God's mercy, 
God's grace on display. This whole week is all about God showing His mercy, showing His love, and showing His grace to mankind when they didn't deserve it. And there were those that stood at the cross and mocked Him. There were those who were in power who crucified Him. And there were those who had power that ended up walking away from the cross powerless. Just like that Roman centurion, remember when he looked up and he saw Jesus and what did he say? Truly, this man was the Son of God. How'd that happen? Because he humbled himself, made himself a little lower than the angels, and died for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we can become the children of God. We're living in mercy. We're living in grace. And we're living in the love of Jesus Christ that gives us mercy and grace. So you know what, this week, who are you going to share that with? That God's been merciful to you. That God's entrusted you with the gospel. That God has shared with you his love. His unconditional love. And now he's made you his ambassador. You go into the world and share that truth with those who need to hear. In a moment, I wanna, I'm going to pray. Maybe there's something specifically you want to offer up to God this morning. Maybe it's an old pattern that you've noticed in your life. And I want to invite you then to present that pattern to God and just give it back to him this morning and say, God, I want to be different on purpose. I want to do things differently. I want to renew my mind. I want to change my life. And I want it to be for your glory and for your praise. During my prayer, feel free to pray yourself. Maybe there's something there. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've fallen away. Or maybe you're one of the ones that in the past you've been living for yourself. And you need to change. And you need to change the pattern of your life. Jesus Christ invites that. This morning I showed you what the Bible says. It's not my opinion, not my thoughts. These are scriptures you can go right, to your, right in your Bible and see them for yourself. But Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you. He died for you so that you could have life. But not just life, abundant life. Do you want that this morning? If so, present your body to him, a living sacrifice as I pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it's quick and powerful. And Father, I thank you that it doesn't return void. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at the scriptures and we contemplate the events of this week, all the things you did for us, you left heaven for us. You lived a sinless life for us. You presented your body a living sacrifice for us. And Father, you, who knew, you sent your Son, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the children of God. So Father, help us to trust in you with all our heart, and not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you, and allow you to direct our paths, and help us to be that living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is the logical thing for us to do, to present our bodies to you. And Father, may we put off the old man and put on the new man. And may we change the trajectory of our lives so that we don't reflect ourselves, but we reflect the glory of God and it helps others around us become more like you. So Father, help us this week to point people to Jesus Christ. Of all the weeks to share the gospel and the hope that's within us, this is the week that is the easiest. And Father, I pray we take advantage of the opportunities afforded to us this week through the different events in our community and in, in our culture and in our surrounding businesses and jobs, that, Father, we would be quick to share the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. And, Lord, may we see through the lens of mercy this week. May we see how merciful you are to us. May we see your grace 
in our lives every day. And Father, rather than a critical spirit, may we show mercy and grace to those who need to hear it. In your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you.